sort of life once we can say that. I am yours. Life's no longer a, a solo dance. It's a waltz with God. Because of that, we live in a different way than we've ever had a chance to live before. Because God's become our dance partner. It's a whole new way of life. And in this particular chapters of the shack, Mac, the main character, finds some new freedoms as he now no longer lives alone apart from God, but lives in that kind of tandem existence with God now as his closest friend, his most intimate partner in life. And all things are changing around him. He discovers in chapter 14 many new freedoms. And new freedoms are not always easy to embrace. Like the elephant's chain, we find those chains that hold us tightest sometimes are those that are most familiar. They might not be the strongest, but that the ones we continually fall back into, those, those old patterns, sometimes because of its familiarity, prisons become a place where we feel more comfortable living than in freedom. I don't, how many of you saw the movie Shawshank Redemption? Did you see that movie? You remember how that truth was portrayed in, in that particular movie? It seemed that within the walls of, those, of that prison, those prisoners that had that survival fellowship inside of there, they seemed to learn the rules of how to survive inside Shawshank. The time of greatest challenge for them was not inside the walls, but after years of knowing the rules inside of the prison, their greatest challenge came when they were finally paroled. And, and now, instead of living in the familiar environs where all the rules are spelled out quite clearly, those that were both written by the warden and those that were implicit because of the fellowship of survival within that place, uh, the rules are completely different now, and they struggle in this outer world that doesn't seem to function by the same rules of engagement anymore. One after another struggles. Some go out into freedom only there to commit suicide. Some we know uh, the recidivism rate in our prisons. People come back to prison, not just because they have a habit of crime, but because sometimes when they get out there in the free world, it's so different than that which they're accustomed to that they find themselves committing a crime to get back to that place of familiarity. It's a strange cycle, but it's real. How is it that God can open the cage to this little environment where we've been living to set us free and yet we find ourselves, even after sometimes in that freedom, coming back to the same perch. Because it's familiar. Mac doesn't respond in the same way as he used to in this chapter again and again. What's it like? How would you describe that new freedom that's yours once the heart has found a new home? Mac, first of all, comes to a canoe. Canoes used to completely turn him off, and we, we know why. It was because of an overturned canoe that Missy was abducted, and it almost took the life of his other child as well. And so canoes have not been a great place for Mac to go because the canoes always brought on the feelings of the great sadness. You remember that? But now, now that he trusts in God to, to have made and to make all that right, now even he comes out to a canoe, sees it by the lake, and this time he gets in and takes it for a spin. Remember and he starts realizing that things have changed. It's not just his ability to canoe differently. He talks about a new peace that's consistently his that he's not experienced before. 
I had a good friend in high school that lived in such a troubled home that uh, he was kind of an anxiety-ridden person. His parents had divorced and gotten back together several times. In our senior year, he became a Christian at one of our FCA gatherings, and the next day he didn't come to school. I was concerned about him. He showed up just before lunchtime, and he came to me. He said, Buzz, that's what they called me, Buzz. He said, I, I, he said, I, I, I overslept this morning. And I said, yeah, I know. Where have you been? And he says, well, I never oversleep. I don't understand it. He says, everything since last night and giving my heart to God, it just seems like everything is at such a place of ease in my life. Usually I'm so anxious, I'm up by 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm waiting around to go to school just because I, I live so anxiously. I've never slept in before. That's just not my way. But I didn't roll over till 9.30 this morning. That's why I'm late. How would you describe it? It's hard to wrap words around it, isn't it? Sometimes how that invisible revolution on the inside starts to make noticeable differences in your life. Would you describe it that way? As, as a new and consistent peace that hasn't been there before? When Paul talked about uh, these kinds of, of new freedoms, peace was certainly a part of it, but that wasn't the only uh, sign of this kind of new freedom. Mac also, as he tools around in the canoe and is enjoying this consistent peace, finds himself singing. That wasn't something he did very often. Well, where does your heart have to be to break out in song? I tell you, it doesn't come easy when you're in a great sadness. But now a reality is more real to Mac than his great sadness was. And because of that, he finds himself singing. They've said of the Christian faith that it's the only faith that sings. Because with walking with God, as Christ frees us to do, He puts a song in our heart. How long has it been since you sang? Really sang. Since you found yourself humming the tunes of the faith, just walking through your day. Could it be that maybe you're still sitting on that per perch even though the door has been thrown open could there be ways even for you this morning to claim those kinds of new freedoms and fully embrace them these new patterns song where there was not one before and emotions where there was no emotion before did you notice that matt kind of shut down the whole emotional apparatus life went gray because he couldn't handle on his own all those overwhelming emotions of his great sadness in losing Missy. But now that, that God has started to bring healing and, and peace to that, Mac discovers that he has emotions that were good emotions that he's been holding back to. That on the other side of this no emotion for me wall were good emotions, life-giving emotions that he has repressed and shut down. And Sarah, you, shows up in the canoe. Do you remember that? Whoa, there she is. And Sarah, you, starts teaching him about this new dance with God, her part in it. I love the way she talks about her ministry. In the Scriptures, it says that I will not leave you orphans, Jesus says, but I will send my Spirit. And He says of that Spirit that that Spirit will disclose to us all that is of Christ and all that is in His heart, all that is in His Gospel and His Word and His intent for us, that that truth Spirit, the Spirit of truth, 
will disclose that to us. And that's all it says, disclose. How does the Spirit disclose that? How would you describe that? Sarah, you described it here, I think, beautifully. You will learn to hear my thoughts in your thoughts. It's put this way in the chapter, and I think it's probably very true, that our, our emotions just are, and, and they come out of a perception of the way things are. And, and behind those perceptions of what we think is going on are, are the beliefs that those, what we think is going on is based on. It's like there's a paradigm of what's true and what we believe to be true and not true. And, and then based on that, we carry that lens into the world. And as best we can, we try to figure out what's going on. And we can see the same things, and yet different people respond completely different to the same reality out there, objective reality, because we have different perceptions. And if you don't believe that, just turn on the TV and watch a little March Madness. Same thing happening on the court. But depending upon your beliefs, which team's supposed to win and not supposed to win, same call gets a totally different reaction. You with me? And that's, that our perceptions can fool us sometimes. You asked a person with different perceptions and different paradigms of loyalties to different teams, how many calls were off that game and were they on this team side or that team side you're likely to get different perceptions and probably different emotions to those perceptions are you with me does that make sense that our emotions are based on our perceptions which are shaped by our paradigms our our, our groundwork beliefs and so it's a very wise piece of counsel is given in this this chapter that emotions are not foolproof that emotions can be tricked And that it's important for us not just to go blindly by our feelings because our feelings are based on our imperfect perceptions which are based on our complete paradigms of what is. But the Spirit of truth speaks truth in each one of those arenas. For our paradigms, the Spirit witnesses to us and discloses to us truth. At the place of our perceptions, the Spirit thinks the Spirit's thoughts alongside our thoughts And we get to choose which we follow. And it's a discerning process. And we actually learn to hear the Spirit. In Ephesians, about the the, the fifth chapter, I think it is, it talks about us learning how to please God. No, learning what pleases God. As if that's something that unrolls itself in a process over time. And we'll make mistakes. We'll blow it from time to time. There'll be times when we think we've got discernment on what the Spirit is calling us to do and realize only in hindsight we misstepped. Anybody uh, a, a well-intended Christian that's done that before? How many of you have discovered that even sometimes when we choose what we think's best and we realize later that it was God's plan B, that God is so gracious He can even make plan B's into plan A's if we continue to waltz with Him? God's got incredible redemptive power. And our lives were not meant to be spent apart from that redemptive power, but in concert with it, responding to it, learning to hear it. And if that's true, then we we shut ourselves off from one way that that Spirit might speak to us if we're people who will not have emotions. 
And the more we align our belief system with the truth as the Spirit gives it to us, not just as the truth as we have perceived it, and as we align our perceptions with the reality that the Word speaks to us and not just the reality that the circumstances around us speak to us, the more often our heart will be in concert and in harmony with what the Spirit is calling us. How do you do that? How do you work through if the Spirit is calling you to do something or not calling you to do something? I, I, I've, I've only learned through dancing, and this is just my advice, uh, something I picked up from my dad. My dad said sometimes when I'm learning uh, or trying to learn what it is the Spirit is calling me to do, and I know it's a decision between plan A and plan B, and both decisions look good, and both decisions look biblical, and both decisions look like something God would bless, I still need to know what God's calling me to do. And it's always a matter of discernment, and he never knows absolutely for sure, but he'll live a day as if option number two is the option that God's calling him to. And as he dreams about that and thinks through that and lets his spirit settle into that, he's sensitive to his spirit about whether or not his spirit is troubled by that or or at peace about that. And then he'll live a day as if option one may be the option that God is opening a door to. And he'll test that for the spirit's witness in his heart and the peace, whether or not that comes. But can you just trust your heart and what it's feeling to be the sole guide as to whether or not God is calling you to do something or not? No. Because sometimes God may be calling you to do something that's fairly over your head. And when you think about it, it may scare you to death. But God has a way of witnessing peace even when things seem insurmountable in His calling. It's not an exact science. It's an art. But God calls us with His Spirit to begin to learn to dance a dance that's alive and responsive to Him. And that means it's a dance not so much of expectations as it is of expectancy. I think that's really true. That we learn to live our lives in response to the Spirit. Paul and the apostles in Acts said it seemed right to us to lay hands on these and to send them out on this missionary journey. It seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit, he says. There's this agreement of witness. I'm, I'm going to tell a little bit on the, uh, on the Hyatt family. Uh, it was an incredible experience as uh, Merlene went on to be with her Lord this last week. Incredible for me because I saw how the faith in that family sustained them and expressed itself in that emergency room. There wasn't a soul there that night that wasn't touched by the songs of the faith that were coming out of that treatment room. Their peace and their hope as the one that they loved had been given the medical word that things were beyond hope. How do you not come apart in a moment like that? How in the churning of all your own emotions does the joy of the promise of eternal life somehow take over and give you peace that passes understanding and joy that sings in the night that joins with Paul and Silas like they were in that prison and everything around them was the beating of rods and the stripping of clothes and the shackles of a dank and dark prison, and yet a song comes out of the heart 
Folks, the only way that's possible is if you're dancing with an invisible partner. And the waltz with God becomes more real than anything else in this world. You live like that. And the faith that you hold will be the faith that holds you when you come to those impossible places where God is your partner is the only partner that'll do. Expectancy. That all along the way that our, our life is no longer something that's on disconnect from God. In fact, let me put it this way. In this chapter, I think it very correctly pictures two kinds of lives. One life that's apart from God, that knows nothing of the dance, that just follows rules and regulations and principles. Do you know what's possible to be a Christian? To read your Bible for the principles by which you're to live and then to go and try to live by those principles in such a way that you never embrace the power of God living that kind of life through you. It's the most defeated life on the planet. Some of you know Christians that are just enough Christian to be that miserable. The life to which God calls us is a life which only God can enable. And so like it says in the book, it's really true, I think, that God becomes within us our ability to respond. Unless He is loving us fully and we're fully receiving that love, we are disempowered to respond to things around us as He would. We're left to respond in the old patterns of the cage, of our own shackles and our own old patterns. Does that make sense? So some of us, though, would, would rather, it's, it's almost easier to, to live by rules than to live by relationship, you know? Let's say after service today, uh, I'd, I'd like to take you to lunch, okay? And, and after service, uh, I, know the, I know a place that would just bless you. I, I want to take you to this great restaurant. And you don't know where it is, and we've got two ways of getting there. One is, I can sit down and, and write you out some directions, and we can both get to our destination. Or, we can caravan. You know what I'm talking about? Where, where I lead the way and then you follow me. Now, how, how many of you have, have worked the map way? Some of you have done the map way. How many of you have done the caravanning before? You've done the caravanning. Which do you prefer? What? Caravan. Strange. Very strange. I hate caravanning. You know why? Because I always get behind the person that forgets that they're leading somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> They're going down the road and they forget that I'm in the rearview mirror and they start doing this kind of mindless lane change stuff. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know where we're going. They'll move over into the exit lane and I'll turn on my blinker. Here it comes, here it comes. No, for no reason whatsoever. We're drifting back out to the passing lane. You ever followed somebody like that? I mean, you, 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 you could not depend on rationality or rules or anything like that. You just, you had to be totally attentive, man, or they would lose you. I hate that. I've gone all the way on spring break from Oklahoma to Florida doing that, and it exhausts me. Because I'm lazy, I want a map. You know, I, I want my own set of rules. I, I want the path mapped out for me so that I, on my own initiative, in my own way, can follow the path and I can get to the destination. And sometimes I do the same thing in my relationship with God. Jesus says, follow me. 
He doesn't just say, Chris, hey, Chris, become holy. I'll meet you there. He says, Chris, follow me. And, and, and as we work together in this life, we'll, we'll find our way. Because you know what? God's not just concerned about the destination. He's concerned about the journey. Well, what's glorious about the waltz and about the dance? Well, if you're dancing one of those waltzes that moves you around the room, if you wanted to go by the rules, all you'd need to know is go around the perimeter of the room and end up right back here. And you could take that rule and that regulation and you could walk around and come right back here. But what would you have missed? Oh, the glory of the dance. God just doesn't want you to show up at the destination. He wants you to dance. He wants you to spin and move and live this life moving as His Son moves you, you see. And if you're responsive and if you're tentative to every move of the one who leads you, you come to dance like them. See? It's a process. If God were to ask you to dance, if you're like me, you'll say, ha, 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 two left feet, don't dance very well, thank you very much, never been, only know the one, two, three, one, two. In fact, I, I grew up learning line dancing. Have y'all ever done that? I grew up in the 80s. Still got the moves. <laughs> but, but line dancing is a peculiar thing. It's no wonder it went completely out. You know, it, it was one of those aberrations in dance there for a while. Because you could be out on the floor and you could have gotten your, your video from Bob and Joe Linda that came on late Saturday nights, you know, with a little infomercial. Keep dancing. We'll be right back. You remember those two guys, you know? <laughs> he and Joe Linda. And the, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And you had your little feet and you could put them down on the floor, you know? And then, and then you know, the thing about line dancing is that you don't really dance with anybody. Line dancing, you, just, you don't even have to ask anybody to dance. You just go out there on the floor and, and find your spot and jump in. There you're going. You know, and the whole floor is kind of moving together. And I'm the only one that's done that. Okay, and then everybody's, you know, and, you're, and it's, it's, it's kind of cool. But you know, there's always that guy out there that's just so into his dance. You know what I'm talking about? He's just out there and he's grooving. And he's got his, he couldn't. The whole place has gone home. He's still out there. Because he's not dancing with anybody. He's got his rules. He's got his principles. He knows his steps. And he's dancing alone. And God's waiting for us, if we're line dancers, to get just tired enough of that dance that we'll look around and we'll see him there saying, can I have the next one? Dance with me. Dance with me. Is it, go is it going to be rules or a relationship? And the truth of the matter is that then the rules don't become irrelevant. They become, as I think it's almost suggested by the chapter, here's where I'd have to disagree, and I have to go with what's biblical. In, in Galatians 5, it says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. But then it also goes on to say that in this freedom of this dance with God, it's not as if the law and the Ten Commandments are now irrelevant. They're simply not the way that we become right with God. 
See? Look at, look at Galatians. Uh, Galatians. Galatians, the fifth chapter. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery is the law. The yoke of slavery is rules without relationship. Jesus has a different kind of yoke. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me how to dance. Learn from me. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive... He goes on into uh, law regulations for them then. But look, look, look down at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It goes on to say, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What one thing fulfills the whole law? One word, what is it? Love. You love, you won't covet your neighbor's stuff. You love your neighbor, you won't lie to him. You love your neighbor, you won't commit adultery with his wife. It kind of covers it. But God didn't set us free so that then we could just go back to making ourselves right with God by keeping rules. He set us free to focus on the dance and on that relationship with God. He gives us the relationship and it's the relationship that changes us. And so one of the things that Cheryl and I noticed when we would do in our ballroom dancing is as we would go around the room, if, if we forgot to be sensitive to how each other was, particularly if Cheryl forgot to be sensitive to my lead, <laughs> we, we would misstep, you know? And sometimes when we got messed up, we'd have to go back to, to check ourselves. Now, how, how did we go wrong? And, and we do the same thing with the faith, you see. Uh, sometimes, because uh, I'm, I'm following my heart as I feel led by the Holy Spirit, I still find myself in places where I've misstepped. And in those moments, I have to discern, well, where did I go wrong? And one of the, the ways that I can discern that then is by the Word of God that shows me how to live. Love doesn't make the, make the, make the rules irrelevant. Love makes the rules something that you leave in the dust. If Cheryl and I really learn to dance the waltz with one another, we're no longer thinking in our head, one, two, three, one, two, three. We're just responding, or she's just responding to my lead as we dance. You follow that? But if I'm not focusing on that lead, and I try to take it back in on myself, and I start counting, one, two, oh, wow, there it went. We fall apart. Or as we're going around the room, if she wavers in her trust of me to guide her through the room, and I'm not a perfect lead, you see, I've taken her into the wall several times. And because of that, it's only natural for her to have a little flinch factor when it comes to, to that complete trust in me as her leader. But with God, it's a different thing. He's the perfect lead, you see. But if I fall out of my trust in Him and I start trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to handle that corner? I see that corner coming. I don't see us getting out of that corner. Well, then I, 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 I become desensitized to He who's leading me and I try to take it on myself. And I always misstep in those situations. You understand what I'm saying? 
So it's not that the law becomes irrelevant. It just no longer is the way by which we're made right with God and are given this relationship. What Christ did for us on the cross gives us that relationship based on what he did rather than on what we do and how well we can do it. Do you know that freedom? Not to have to perform for God ever again. Not to be worried about whether or not you misstep, but just be in the joy of learning the dance with the most gracious and loving partner that's ever been. Never misses a step. Always picks you up and makes you look graceful, even when you've stubbed your toe. That's one of the things my dance instructor told me about that, is that this is not line dancing where it's all about me. This is a waltz where it's all about my partner, and I become the best lead when I disappear from the floor, even though I'm there, and the glory is the partner that I'm leading in the dance. You see, that's what God wants. He wants to lift you up to that place that you're dancing in that kind of life with him. And since he's an invisible partner, everybody will know, wow, what a God when they look at you. It's a life of expectancy, not living up to expectations so much as, as expectancy of that relationship and, and following after him. And that's important as, as we approach some of the greatest questions that we'll ever have. Can we really trust God to be our, our, our dance partner or not? And for, for that, I think the next chapter actually turns to the idea of salvation. Chapter 15. Do you remember that's the place where Sarah Yu touches, I think uh, so Sarah Yu touches Mac's eyes, and Mac's eyes are transformed to be able to see things in a deeper reality than we can see things in this world. He sees things of figures of light, and as they have their emotions that he's now become willing to be a more, more free participant in, these emotions are freer in this reality, and they jump and illuminate uh, from one another. And every individual that comes into this, this vision of the army of God's children coming to Christ with, 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 a, with, with a troubled adult in their midst. Do you remember that? That troubled adult. And that troubled adult turns out to be Mac's father. The father that abused him. The father that uh, uh, was a drunken abuser of his, of his mother. The father whose relationship is now beyond resolving in Mac's power because Mac left home having poisoned his dad's liquor stash. and We know his dad's dead now. And you can put two and two together. How do you resolve all that? Do you know that part of heaven is that when we get to heaven, even those that we might have had trouble with in this world have been made perfect. Do you know that about your faith? That salvation is a past tense, present tense, future tense deal that we can talk about, many of us do. Brother, when were you saved? What are we talking about? We're talking about that day that we, we gave our lives to Christ and began the dance, however falteringly, but we came to trust Him and to trust in Him is what made us right with God. And at that moment, Jesus becomes our dance partner. And then there's the process and it's not just that we've been saved in the past once we're a Christian, it's that we're being saved. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those uh, who are being saved, it is the righteousness of God. For those who are being saved, past, present, future, being saved. 
Okay, okay. Past, present, or future being saved? Present. Okay. Have I lost you completely? Present. And then, and then the future tense, that we will someday be saved when we're glorified and made to be like He is, you see, and being like Jesus. What, what happens? Paul used to talk about, I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will come to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus, in that day of reckoning where we see Him face to face and we're glorified and we're made to be like He is. John talks about that. Children of God, do you not know? It does not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see Him face to face, we shall be like Him. God will fully live within us. Our master motive for all that we do will be love. It will no longer be distracted or misdirected by sin. In that moment, we will be made complete in Christ. You follow me? That's the future hope. That those people who loved us even in broken and disparaging ways in this life, who may have been touched by Christ but never got out of the cage, in that moment, they're going to love us perfectly. We have that to look forward to. So it was with Mac's dad. But it's not just that we look forward to that day. I want you to hear this. This is important. It's that looking forward to that day affects how we dance right now. Trusting our present dance partner to someday make all things right. keeps us from trying to anticipate what's going to happen around the dance floor some other time and distrust his leadership of us right now. Do you follow that? You ever had thoughts like that, that I can't compute and work out in my head? I, 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 have, I, I know people in this world that I love very dearly that have not chosen Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And you know, God has given me such a heart for them, I don't know how it's not going to spoil heaven for me to get there and they not be there with me. I don't know how he's going to work it out. But I, I've got a choice here. I, I could either try to work out that corner of the room over there that we're going to in heaven someday for myself and distrust my dancing partner right now and back away from the dance. Or I can say, you know, God, that corner's coming up there. But we're dancing so well together now, I'm going to trust you the whole way around. Do you have that kind of faith? The kind of faith that looking upon that kind of future with God perfects you even in the present place of your dance, helps you dance better with God here? That's what John said we could have. For he who has this hope within them perfects himself, he says in 1 John 3 about verse 3. Looking forward to the date. You ever known someone that's been asked to get married? You know, there's a little transformation that happens there right after the proposal, right up to the time of the marriage. You ever notice that? And I'm not just talking about the tanning bed. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that, that, that may be part of it, you know, the tanning bed. Uh, but all of a sudden, there's, there seems to be, I, I'm, I'm not a woman, I don't understand these things, but there seems to be a new motivation to go on the diet that we've never been gone on because we are going to fit in that dress. Why? Why? Because that is the day. See? 
That is the day of our heart's longing being satisfied, or so we think. And it's really just a dim reflection of the day. The day when we as His bride dance with Him fully in heaven. That day's coming. And so because of that day, it affects me right now. Paul said that I count all things as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, and I press on to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of. How's that for a dance partner's response? Do you understand? Honey, come into my space. Now that's all she knows. Follow me. Is it this way? Now you see mine. You ready? And that's what it's like. And she's just in that frame, paying attention to what we're doing here. Just, and she never knows what I'm going to do next. That's okay, isn't it? Uh, did you notice that little misstep there? Thank you, Dom, I think. Listen, Christ is calling you to be his dance partner. Right now. In that scene in, in, in Max chapter, all the company of heaven is there, and they one by one respond to this same, same invitation. Come. Come. And as all those children, and as Mac's dad, and as eventually as Mac, come to Christ, their heart's longing and their heart satisfaction is fulfilled, and they find themselves going away to some place in heaven content until it's only Mac and Jesus that are there, and the same invitation applies. Come. But I want you to hear something clearly today. You don't have to look, just look forward to that day, someday in heaven, where He says, come. He said that in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight two thousand 2,000 years ago, and the invitation still stands. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and, and I will give you rest. Come, take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me. Come. Come and know your heart's satisfaction. And dancing with me now and for eternity. Come. Do you understand? It's not us that are waiting on Him. It's He that's waiting on us. Can He have this dance? Are you tired of stepping alone? This morning and every moment of your life, his arms are open wide. Step into his space. Trust his lead. And leave this place today dancing. Dancing. Come. Let's stand as we sing.